Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. The monsters will now start attacking Tokyo. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Sound. I'll turn up the sound so you can hear the monsters dueling to the death. Welcome to episode 142 of the Kaiju Cast, a bi-monthly podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle, and this is the second episode of May 2015, and our Daikaiju discussion for Godzilla x Mechagodzilla. Joining me here in the studio, we have Rachel Cook. Hey there. Martin Vavra. Hey there. And a long-lost voice from the podcast, we have Adam Alexander, who was part of the Monster Project. Welcome back, sir. Hello once again. Well, we have... uh, not too much to talk about outside the movie, but I'm really excited to watch this film. We are going to kick things off with a request from Herman, whose birthday it was, uh, and he asked for the Shogun Warriors Godzilla commercial. So, happy birthday, Herman. Now, Godzilla! Godzilla! You can pretend Godzilla turns a mighty castle into a pile of sand. Go do it, Godzilla! You control Godzilla's ugly tongue. You can make him stomp. Pound his tail, pretending he strikes it all in his way. You can launch Godzilla's claw for the final blow. We did it! What will Godzilla do next? It's up to you. Godzilla with a claw that launches. Some assembly required from the Shogun Warrior Collection by Mattel.
for those of you who are interested in what music we just played, we started things off with the Shogun Warriors Godzilla commercial from way back in the 1900s. That would be 1978, I believe. And again, that was for Herman Tanjobi Omedito, which is happy birthday in Japanese. Uh, then we played a request from Matt, or was it his dog, Ashley, for the main titles of Gojirando, which I believe we would just say Godzilla Land, or Godzilla Land, or Godzilla Land. And then we finished that music block up with a song that I am floored, absolutely floored, that we have never played on the podcast before. And it may be my new favorite track from any movie's score, and only because of its awesome title. That was The Skeleton of Godzilla by Michiro Oshima from Godzilla x Mechagodzilla, which brings us to our next segment. Once again, class, it is time for our Daikaiju discussions. Every month, the Kaiju cast showcases one film from the giant monster landscape and tasks the listeners with submitting their thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following discussion episode. Thanks to an online tool, I have randomly assigned one film to each month, ensuring that this podcast will keep going for a long, long time. This month, we are watching and talking about Godzilla x Mechagodzilla, a.k.a. Godzilla against Mechagodzilla. This 2002 entry in the Millennium series was directed by Masaki Tezuka and is his second kaiju extravaganza. It features the return of one of Godzilla's most popular enemies and fan favorite leading lady. Now, for those who aren't as familiar with this era of Godzilla's filmography, Toho made Godzilla Millennium, Godzilla 2000 as we know it here in the States, Godzilla X Megagirus, also directed by Misaki Tezuka, Godzilla Mothra Kingidra, Giant Monsters All Out Attack, which was Shusuke Kaneko's film, and then Toho apparently asked Tezuka back to direct this film. They must have liked him because initially this Millennium series was only supposed to be featuring like a number of one and done films by different directors. So apparently Tezuka made enough of an impression to warrant a return, thereby breaking the, I don't know, streak or formula. Did it work? Well, we're going to go watch the movie and come back to talk it out. Alright, so we just finished watching Godzilla x Mechagodzilla, and uh, like I said before, we got Rachel, Martin, and Adam here. I'm curious to know, has anybody here never seen this film before? I have never seen it. Okay, so this is a first for Martin. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, you saw you saw it before, like once or twice. Adam? I saw it once in a theater in New York City for a Godzilla festival. Nice. And then uh, Rachel, how many times have you seen this guy? I think I've seen it a couple times before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you are a newcomer to the Godzilla scene as far as movies go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually, so is Martin. So, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And this is a relatively new film. I think this is probably about like. Maybe the tenth time I've seen it altogether. It's a, it's one of those films that when it came out, I was just, I wasn't totally blown away, but I was really impressed because, uh, in, you know, in 2002, these movies were still really struggling to, uh, look good and, and feel good too. And I think that they tried really well. They did their best. And I think that this is probably, uh, one of those times where I'm going to say, you know, 
Good job, Toho. Well done. I'm sure you could have done better if a uh, situation was a little bit different. Maybe if your uh, your budget had been more or your um, <laughs> your schedule hadn't been so tight. Uh, but overall, I do actually really like this movie. Uh, Rachel, what are your initial thoughts on, on Godzilla X Mechagodzilla? I've always liked this one. Um, I thought I... I really like the idea of Kiryu, of them making him from Godzilla's bones. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really cool idea, and I like the little trilobite thing at the beginning. Little, yeah, I yeah. like the idea of the half robot, half, you know, um, what the, would you the call DNA. it? You know, DNA. Yeah, 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 I think that's great. Um, and I'm just overall a big fan of robots, so any movie that they're creating a robot version of something, I'm excited about it. So, so I enjoy it. So yeah, I, I'd say that's my initial thoughts on it. Very cool. Martin, what, what were you thinking when you finished this movie up, when the credits finally rolled and we saw that lame stinger at the end? <laughs> lame? I actually really enjoyed this film and I think its strengths outweigh its flaws. Um, to the point where I don't even have an issue with anything that I could go back and really make as massive flaws on anything. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think Pacific Rim reeks of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually, you know, when, when I did my, you know, 10 or whatever it was, five films to watch before yeah. Pacific Rim article for the Mercury, uh, I included this one because in my opinion, this is one of the better mecha versus monster movies that has been made from Toho. And I just honestly, it because its effects are so modern and like maybe at about 90% where they should be, like I was like, yeah, that'll be, that's a good one right there. And mm-hmm. it's got some great moments in it too. Uh, Adam, what about you, man? Second time you've watched the film, what are your initial thoughts after seeing it for the second time? Well, when I tell people that with recent Godzilla films that I'd be perfectly satisfied if monsters came out and just fought each other for a yeah. good hour, <laughs> hour and a half straight, um, I, I mean that. So it's, it's hard for me to argue with this movie in that regard because whereas some Godzilla movies attempt to layer a, a, a more complex plot or element on top of everything, this one is pretty much Godzilla shows up, so we have to build Mecha Godzilla to fight him, and then they fight a couple times. And that's that's pretty spot on for... That's what I was expecting by <laughs> the good, title, by yeah, the yeah. synopsis, and it delivered. All right. That's actually a pretty glowing review from you, right? Uh, Yes. <laughs> uh, for me, you know, like I said earlier, I, I've seen this film a lot. And I honestly, um, I, you know, I'll get into my, my positives and negatives in a second. Um, this is a movie that after it finishes, my initial thoughts on it are, man, I just wish things could have been just the tiniest bit different with a myriad of, of things. But, uh, overall, I think that this is definitely in competition with Tokyo SOS as Masaki Tezuka's best 
film in the series. That's the second time, though, that you've mentioned some little things that bother you. <laughs> yeah. what, what kind of little things are the ones that aren't doing it for you? Uh, the things that bother me, and I guess I'll just go ahead and I'll start. Um, <laughs> yes, Cal, what were the things that bothered you about this film? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was actually going to start off with the positive things, but uh, uh, the little, the, the thing, actually, because normally I say, like, what's the worst part about this movie? What's this biggest, the biggest criticism you'd have of it? And I'd say for this film, it's a toss-up. I can't decide between uh the the terrible little girl who bothers me every almost every time she's on screen or if it's the uh the fact that Godzilla is not moving in like half the times they're attacking him so he's just like standing there and the missiles are hitting him instead of him walking through the city yeah i noticed that too it's one of those things that the more i watch it the more it's kind of like ugh, i wish that they that's one of the things that if i could go back in time i'd be (laughs) like don't let him just stand there and actually uh i believe do not quote me on this listeners that kenpachiro satsuma that was his biggest criticism of Godzilla in this film as well. A completely separate knowledge there. I did not know that until very recently uh, that he was like, Godzilla should be moving, which is true. I mean, he, there are, I counted at least five shots in that film where he just sits there and they're bombarding him with missiles and he's not moving forward. He's not moving backwards. He's not moving his arms really. It's almost like they just, you know, they decided Target. we're going to listen to Martin <laughs> yeah. Vavra and we're not going to have a guy in the suit for this particular <laughs> moment. We're just going to put a mannequin in there. But I know there was a dude in the suit for for most of those shots. Uh, th- those are really the two biggest qualms that I have with this film. And I'd say overall, I can ignore the little girl actor. Uh, she does make me shake my head when she's on screen. <laughs> but it is, I think the biggest issue I have is static Godzilla when he should in my opinion he should just be you know alive moving alive I moving. kept wanting to yell yeah. pick up your sticks like to my neighbor <laughs> like it's I feel like I'm playing a game and someone's just standing there and you're like did you forget that it's your turn yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's your turn to be moving and fighting this is a role based city yeah, destroying battle the, you know or I kept expecting press start to show up on the screen yeah. <laughs> Godzilla's stuck in his little animation his little yeah, static exactly, animation kinda, yeah. yeah bouncing a little bit <laughs> yeah. uh, so what about you man What what would you you said earlier there weren't many things that you would knock on this film. Well, as like you want somebody who grew up watching Godzilla movies right. in the 70s. And and I should point out here that um, Godzilla movies in the 70s were being released uh, rather promptly to American television. So there was this point where there were uh, the early Godzilla movies where he was a villain and then the later ones you were exposed to where he was I guess the de facto hero if not like the blatant you get yes Godzilla's coming to save us yeah and so the Mechagodzilla from my childhood, from my memories, my fondest Mechagodzilla, uh, apart from both the, the, the appearance of Mechagodzilla in the 70s, was his completely sinister aspect. He was, you take Godzilla, who's already at least sinister in appearance when he doesn't look like Cookie Monster, and you, you, <laughs> you make him metallic and odd in many ways like the original mecha godzilla's head popping off and still having that cyborg like yeah the uh, brain guy the brain thing laser (laughs) the various different explosives he just he just seemed cruel and as a guy who also likes robots but kind of likes them to be evil (laughs) um i 
I somewhat miss the Mechagodzilla of your that that was the more sinister version. And in this one, this is really less a Godzilla movie and more a Mechagodzilla movie. That is absolutely true, yeah. Um, so to that end, it's Godzilla is himself is in this movie just kind of an impetus to build Mechagodzilla. There's, he shows up and to attack apparently, and then he shows up again to attack apparently, and he's driven away. But there's very little gravitas to Godzilla other than the imperative to create Mechagodzilla and get Mechagodzilla to work. And not that. I don't know that I would prefer a modern movie where an aliens built an evil Mechagodzilla to attack Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But as I say it out loud right now, I'm thinking, yes, I would. Yes, that's... Yeah. But that said... There's that's... nothing wrong with aliens building a giant <laughs> robot to defeat another monster. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. That's what I would do if I was an alien. <laughs> yeah. Um, that said, taking it for what it is, because I'm guessing, and you would know more than me, that Mechagodzilla was a popular enough character that they wanted to make him into the hero in the modern era... I would say that yes. I know. I I guess <laughs> uh, Terminator Two kind of a deal. Well, yeah. when you're talking about <laughs> yeah, like when you're talking about uh, how the public sees Godzilla, at least the Japanese public, I don't have I don't have a lot of connection to that, uh, especially when the movies were coming out. So as far as specifically turning Mechagodzilla into the hero, you know, they did that in 1993, and I'm assuming that because that movie did well-ish in the theaters that they said, okay, Mechagodzilla should be a good guy. And I guess it does make sense uh, in terms of Godzilla being the bad guy, Mechagodzilla should be the good guy. Well, there's the obvious trend of Godzilla himself in the 70s, from the 50s through the late 70s, becoming popular enough that no one wanted to root for his destruction anymore. You wanted to root for his <laughs> victory, so he becomes the good guy. Uh, he was definitely well, the good guy by the time 1971 came around. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, for me, actually, I really think a lot of this is that it's Akane's movie and Mechagodzilla is the delivery system for her to be able to come back around and, and find some closure to what happened in the beginning of the movie. Cause uh, to me, that's really what it turns out to be is Mechagodzilla is the delivery system for her to be able to, uh, find that closure to find herself back into caring about living and caring about being a soldier and doing all of the things that she needs to do to finish it out. And really Mechagodzilla at that point in time is nothing because they can't do the remote system none of that stuff it's not even a safe defensive mechanism and when she, once she gets in so it's really about her redemption along with yeah, you know, oh, yeah. being inside of Godzilla yeah or mecha Godzilla excuse me for, so for me though that that aspect of it the Akane's mm -hmm. the character of Akane uh in addition to the character of Sarah uh, and any of the sort of like heartstrings sort of drama bits, uh, that's actually where I kind of think that Masaki Tezuka doesn't, the director, doesn't really do such a great job. Uh, and I think that's because for me, those, those moments that he's trying to tug on the heartstrings, I have, I got nothing. I feel like a cold, heartless <laughs> robot. <laughs> Not made from Godzilla's bones that, you know, just can't, I just can't, I, I don't feel anything for those characters. I don't feel see, anything for her. Or, did it really? Yes, it, it worked, worked on, on me as well. I actually, really? yeah. yeah. I actually really I, like oh, the little maybe girl. I'm I can too relate close. to her. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the good, good time then to, to ask you guys. Obviously, the touch me not plant 
had some <laughs> real symbolic importance. It was yeah. the very first post credits thing that was shown. <laughs> it, it played throughout no. the entire special appearance by the Dutch. And I kept trying to That's figure it. out exactly what symbolic you know, role that plant was playing in terms of all of these interpersonal reactions. Right. And I had difficulty putting I'm alive together. and I'm here, but I don't, I don't want your love. I don't need your love. I can be, every time you try to reach out and touch me, I'm just going to curl up and move away from you. And that Connie did that as well. She didn't want anyone defending her and she didn't really care when she was being picked on. And it really, I don't think anything was about the team for her. I really think it was about at one point in time, probably a little bit of revenge as well as uh, I think the redemption kind of ended up just being the lucky end of the stick because really it was about more of a revenge aspect of her. Like she was she wanted to be able to hopefully try to kill Godzilla without any regard for herself. So it's like, yeah, I'm here and I'm still alive, but don't touch me or I'm just going to curl up and move out of the way. I think they were trying to do that with the kid as well because they kept bringing up the mom mm -hmm. being dead. And the, the little girl didn't, uh, annoy me, but she didn't do much for me either. I, she just was so nominal. It felt like they were kind of like trying to throw it in. It's cool, man. I'll stop talking trash about her. <laughs> no, it's all good. You know, you want to pick on the smallest person in the, on the film, you know? Uh, the, uh, that's good. No, I, I, yeah, the kid was kind of, it, it didn't add anything, but it didn't take anything away. I kind of felt like he was trying to add another little layer, but then it was like, all right, guys, we got to get back to the, <laughs> we got to get back to the punching the buildings. <laughs> all right. And for me, what the kid did was she, well, and I, I felt like I, I don't know, I could relate to her in some sense. Like for me, the plant was a little bit different symbolically. I saw it as like a safety net as like, this is my comfort. This is my only friend in this world. And so if I'm just paying attention to this, I can kind of be in my shell and I don't have to relate to any other people. I could just relate to this plant and just be with this plant and that's it. And that's the only friend I need. And so I don't have to grow in the rest of the world. And for me as a kid in real life, like as <laughs> for myself, I had dealt with some just crazy things in my life and I didn't have any friends and I got a rat at one point and that rat was my entire world and everything I just it, the rat was with me at all times I watched TV with that rat I carried it all around the house she's just sat on my shoulder all the time slept in the pockets of my hoodies and like and she was everything to me for about 4 years mm -hmm. and it was something like that I didn't, I don't even remember other parts of my life at that point other than that rat mm -hmm. because there was so much significant depression I was experiencing and just different things. I got a head injury, like a serious brain injury and stuff at the time. And I just was picked on a lot at school and there's just a lot going on. And the, like my whole world was that and it was my way of shutting myself off from the rest of the world. And so for her, I could see that being that she experienced her mother's death. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was really traumatic for her. And so she didn't want to deal with anything else. And she just wanted to be with this plant and she didn't want to grow and meet other people and do other things. It was, that's her whole world. And so she didn't really me, have to do anything either liked, for it. Yeah. Just exactly, water yeah, it, but you didn't have to it, like touch it or her, anything because yeah, exactly. it would negatively react. Right. And so <laughs> her letting go of that plant was such a big growing point for her that, oh, I could see. And she kind of saw it, you know, she created this relationship with, with Akane and Akane kind of growing to realize too that 
life's worth living and I should start to relate to other people. And she was starting to get interested in that guy, like the father and stuff. Even though I wasn't a huge fan of his character, I don't think it was done that well either. But I totally connected with that little girl throughout the whole movie. I am legitimately and pleasantly shocked that you were able to make a connection with that character because uh, this came out in 2002. It's 2015 now. So mm-hmm. for the past uh, 13 years, I have held the idea that that character is one of the worst <laughs> yeah. characters uh, in the in the Millennium series, at yeah. least. I mean, just from the standpoint of her, I don't know the correct cinematic term here, but she seems kind of just emo a lot of times yeah. you know she's kind of like staring at her father with her lips pursed and you know unless you have been paying attention to the mm-hmm. character uh, a lot of times especially earlier when i you know in the early days of me watching this film i was really confused I was like why is she not emoting and, and now i know she is emoting but like it's but still I think have I get issues the with flatness that, because she's yeah. depressed. Like, I uh, seriously the, like, am impressed that you like, were I don't able know. to get that I from her. Connected with her, but I also understand that she wasn't like some fantastic actor. She was no little girl from Pacific Rim, but <laughs> she, you know, but it was still like I felt like I had this understanding with her, and maybe it was like the emo thing. Maybe I had that going on as a kid. Like, some <laughs> very right interesting thing to, to do. know. About that, I don't though. know, but some yeah. of that was I. I think she was also a little bit mad at her father, disappointed in her father because the father had gone on. You know, he was kind of hitting on Akane. Yeah, and there's some times where she references he was absolutely where, hitting on Akane. Yeah, yeah. No so and she wasn't happy about that, and yeah. she mm-hmm. makes that comment at the end where you know Akane's okay. You know, I'm good with this. And so that was, I think that was yeah. some of her issue was that dad's moved on and huh. I haven't. Interesting. Wow. You guys are totally. bringing up all these things I'd never even thought about for this film before. <laughs> yeah, the, these two have sold me on yeah. a whole emotional <laughs> level to the film. That, that was actually what I really, and uh, we're skipping around here on how we do it, but that was actually something I really liked about it. And having this discussion has mm-hmm. kind of made me realize some of the things that I have not connected with before in that I'm, I'm not a big fan of procedural TV shows where right. it's not about character. It's about plot. You go from plot point to plot point. We got to get to here. We got to get to that thing. We got to go to there. And, it, and a lot of times I'm like, why are we doing this? Why are you going there? Why aren't you thinking ahead? Why are you still asking why? Like, why do you keep doing this? And I liked the fact that this tried to be a character study with these folks a little bit more than some of the others. Okay. Um, and I, and I did in, enjoy that layer of it because there really, there's no point in time in this film where I'm like, huh, oh, this is exposition for what? Why am I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really didn't get bored with any of the story going along in here. Interesting, man. Same here. I'm, I, I mean, I don't want to say I'm shocked. Shocked would not be the word. <laughs> You're not firing me from the, <laughs> no, watching, <laughs> no, dude. If I, if I didn't let you go after talking trash on the Mysterians, you're oh, sticking around. That's so true. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're still here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, you know, uh, I think for, uh, hey, at this point, I don't even know if we need to keep our best, worst, you know, discussion. We can just kind of like keep it loose like this, but, um, you know, if if you're talking about 
character-driven plot, you don't see a lot of that in Godzilla films. Mm-hmm. Well, you see a lot of attempts. You do. That's true. Yeah, that's yeah they're very you, hollow. You could, you could see a lot of, uh, I'd say, most of the ones in the 90s, the, the Heisei films, like those, most of them uh, fall flat to me or for me with uh, with regards to the acting and those characters trying to make that connection that I was talking about mm-hmm. that I I'd still I don't get that connection uh, I'm interested to watch it again though yeah. not right now but maybe <laughs> later let's do and, this uh, game one more time <laughs> <laughs> it's the double feature episode of the Cast. Uh, uh anyway I'm just saying that uh, I, I find it interesting that you guys have found something that I never even considered in the film, and I'm I'm legitimately impressed with that. Thank you. You're gonna need the two of them around next time when you watch the 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 because the next movie is a direct sequel to this, right? Yeah, but we've already watched that on the podcast. We watched that last year in January, I think. Tokyo SOS. We could just go and watch that now, mm-hmm. though. <laughs> I like that film too. Uh, well, so uh, what was your favorite aspect of the film? Go ahead. Um. I think a lot of it was, it was the story, the plot. I, I did enjoy it a lot. I, and like Martin said, I'm never bored throughout this entire film. Mm-hmm, and that's why mm-hmm. this is really far up there in my favorite kaiju films, I'd say. Cool. Um, and when you talk about the different mecha Godzillas, Kiryu always comes to mind for me because I, I don't know. I, I do like, like this film. Uh, I like the idea of, um, the, that Mechagodzilla was the focus versus Godzilla, really. Um, but, but I don't know. I, um, I already talked so much. I can't think of another. <laughs> I think that is, that's my no, favorite that's fine. thing. That's yeah. Fine. Yeah. So, but, uh, and I do, I like Godzilla's suit in this I, with Muppet eyes and all. I don't I, think I this do one like has it. Muppet no, eyes Muppet so eye? much. No, okay. In fact, there's specifically there when Godzilla's underwater and yeah. opens his eye and you That's see cool. like, it's almost like an iridescent metallic gold that they're using inside of the, the suit, you know, yeah. whatever that makes up the eye. Mm-hmm. It just looks, I thought it looked very realistic. But. It does. Yeah. Well, I think more, I, I describe Muppet eyes as just the big white eyes with the black pupils. Yeah. Like. When, you know, from the, a distance yeah. and stuff. But they did have good detail on Yeah. The, uh, the Godzilla, the 54 Godzilla that they show in this film has the Muppet eyes, has yes, the cookie monster. That's totally eyes, true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's totally true. Yeah. But I, I thought they had good effects too in this film. Yeah. So Adam, what did you like best about, about this film? Well, I'm, I'm going to be really shallow here and <laughs> say that the thing I liked best was Godzilla as seemingly motiveless engine of destruction. All right. I like this. I like the special effects. I thought they were pretty good. I, I like the fact that Godzilla shows up seemingly without reason, though conveniently timed. Um, very conveniently <laughs> timed. Um, <laughs> but just shows up methodically, uh, wreaks some destruction. Um, I, I thought the special effects of him re- uh, in terms of his, the perspective of his size and his interaction with the, the city and mm-hmm. the, the live action in the foreground, it, it just it's very well done, very believable. And as a uh, as a destruction porn kind of guy, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I really liked it. And then the fighting scenes were, were great. I have less of a emotional interaction with the characters. 
Um, so I, I more went for the vicarious thrill of destruction. And, and in that way, it's satisfied. It definitely delivers on the destruction level. Um, I would say that uh, this movie has some of the best scenes, visually speaking, has some of the best destruction scenes in the entire series. Uh, and, and that actually goes, goes for Tokyo SOS as well. Um, I know that Masaki Tezuka worked with at least two, if not three different special effects directors. Uh, but the guy who was working on this film did a fantastic job. I want to say knocked it out of the park, especially since there was a baseball reference in the, in the film, <laughs> but there's just like, what did I say? 90, 90% there. Like the effects yeah. were really, this is the way I was thinking of it when we were watching the movie. Everything looked so great in the film that when something didn't look great, it really stood out to me. Well, they had a yeah, couple of examples agree. of things that they weren't even going for realistic. Some cartoonish yeah. moves of Mechagodzilla and, and leaps Yeah, that I'm always reminded that I've been told that uh, the Japanese prize less the the absolute realism of a special effect versus the emotive effect of the yeah, film yeah, story. Yeah, 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 yeah. So when, when Mechagodzilla seemingly effortlessly leaps over Godzilla and you're just like, sure, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't that, think I, I watch it and go, that would never happen. But yeah. Right. But there's some things that, that like go beyond the quality of special effects and into an aesthetic that, true. you know, you'd give or take it, but... It still looked good. Oh, no. This movie looks fantastic. Oh, it sounded yeah. great. It did sound great. Yeah. I loved uh, – when we were watching it, we started watching it, and then when Godzilla attacked, I'm like, this needs to be a little bit louder. And just turning it up like four or five more notches on the dial really, really packed a punch. It yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like one of the things – like one of the reasons I wanted a home theater like this was to watch Godzilla movies that loud and – like actually feel the rumble when he mm -hmm. walks through the city and so forth. Uh, favorite parts, Martin? Uh, I want to, I want to follow up with the practical, especially the practical effects. I do think that probably from a practical effects standpoint, this was my favorite film mm -hmm. of them. I think the practicals in this were so good and not just how, good they were built and how good they blew up and were torn apart and fell apart and all that, but also the cinematic quality and how they filmed these shots. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of shots in here that were not static. And once you've got something that you're setting up and you're going to go blowing through this thing, you got one shot unless you built five of them. True. True. Yeah. And yeah they that's had, absolutely right. For and the they had moving shots. Yeah. They had moving shots with guys in suits tearing through things and, and rubble in the foreground of the camera just right out of focus while the, all this other stuff was going on. I, I'm assuming that a lot of the missile shots coming out of Mechagodzilla are digital, but then added in with the practical effect of the explosions and yep, everything going on. They'll off. have the, uh, it's like a ladder. Oh, that yeah. They run a thing down where the thing just goes. Yep. And like just little, little tiny sparks and so explosions. So good. So, so well done. I, I really think from a practical standpoint, this is the, the best one that I have seen so far. They were overly ambitious with some of their digital stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and again, that, like you were saying, Adam, that might even be from a cultural aspect. It's like, that's good enough because that gets us and spoiled in America. You know, by 2002, we were seeing some pretty big spectacles digital wise. So there were some times where I was like, yeah, but I, I was chalking that up to that. 
that's as good as they could do in 2002 with their budget. Yeah. The Millennium Series as a whole, you could almost just say like that Toho did the best that they could for what they were given budget-wise, schedule-wise. Yeah. Etc. And they knew they like they knew right at the spot because there are times where it's like you know the jump Mega Godzilla does this thing, but then there's sticks the landing turns around. Now we're back in the practical, and they tied them together really well. And they were right back into doing practical effects, practical fight on a practical set. So they tied that in really yeah. well, and I just really dug it. Cool. Uh, I'm gonna follow back with you a little bit later. Mm-hmm. I want you to start thinking about it now where this movie lies in the pantheon of Godzilla films, you know, yeah. where you would rank this. Mm-hmm. Uh, give me some things that you loved about this film. Even though we've already talked, I know you said well, a lot I, already, but I did still love, I loved, I was thinking of the practical effects when Kiryu goes through that building. Yeah. We talked yeah. about that. Oh awesome. God, that like, looked amazing. Yeah, that was great. Right it looked it. so <laughs> good. Yeah, that was so cool. And then that right um, there should be part of like a reel that you make to say why practical effects rule. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Yeah. That looks so great. And even when Godzilla kind of, um, I don't, I can't remember if he, he probably gets like run into by Kiryu somehow, but I remember him having all this rubble on his face as he's getting up and stuff. And it just looked great. I can't remember mm-hmm. exactly what happened right before it, but there's so many scenes like that where you're just like, wow, that just looks so awesome. And even though I don't think the digital effects would hold up to this day for like, if they put it in a current movie, I think people would go, Oh, that's not done that well, but I still think it looked really cool in this film. Um, Kiryu's, Big ice ray thing. Oh, yeah, that, yeah. The you know, absolute zero cannon. Yes. Yeah. That looked really cool. I liked, yeah. you know, when he accidentally, you know, hit those three buildings or, <laughs> you know, whatever happened. Like, yeah, it was yeah, ridiculous, yeah. but it was fun. Yeah. So. I actually, I, I love that for, for a couple of reasons. One of them is that Masaki Tezuka, the director of this film, is a huge Godzilla fan. He's actually going to be at G Fest this year. I cannot oh, wait nice. to interview him. Nice. Uh, fingers crossed that that happens. Listeners, please make sure that I, my voice is heard through the channels <laughs> and that I am actually able to interview Tezuka. Every movie he has, he A, brings back an old Toho actor or actress. So in Godzilla X Megaguirus, he had Yuriko Hoshi, who was the female protagonist in Mothra vs. Godzilla. And in Ghidra, the three-headed monster, uh, in this film, he had Kumi Mizuno as the prime minister, which I'm sure at the time people were like, oh, my God, it's Kumi Mizuno, you know, <laughs> super excited about that. And, you know, he had little homages thrown in. Of course, he made reference to Gaira and Mothra in Tokyo SOS. He will bring in uh, Kamiba from the the movie Yogg, Monster from Space or Space Amoeba, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and he also had something that I didn't ever think about before when Akane is going down the, um, the, uh, access hatch. He, she gets sprayed with a, with a mist. Yeah. Without a doubt, that has to be a reference to Mothra versus Godzilla when Akira Takarada and Yuriko Hoshi are in. Kozumi's uh, lab and they're sitting in, they're standing in these rooms that they're getting misted on basically. And when they come out, they're like, what's that for? It's like, Oh, you were radioactive. We just (laughs) removed the radioactivity (laughs) from you, which is, you know, this Toho science, which is a a term coined by Ed Gojiteski's wife. uh, As far as I know, 
this movie is is rife in a good way <laughs> with Toho science. The fact that you've got the absolute zero canon, which is a reference to uh, Atragon, and you've got uh, the 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 mist that stops people from being radioactive. It just there's so much stuff. The that Mazers, it's, the Mazers, yeah. absolutely mm-hmm. the Mazers. And if you notice the Mazers, let me just keep talking because I don't know uh, the Mazers. <laughs> In the very beginning of the film, when they're, you know, it's raining and Godzilla's attacking through the forest, that was a direct homage to War of the Gargantuas, where, mm-hmm. uh, where Gyra was basically being ambushed by the Japanese self-defense force with the Mazer cannons. And it was actually, I love that scene with Gyra in War of the Gargantuas, but this did it better. Did it so much better. And it I love the fact that it was raining. Minute, it yeah. wasn't a 45 minute setup scene. <laughs> da, 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 da. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, this is the kind of thing like Masaki Tezuka's references are subtle enough. I think that they're not like, Oh God, here, you know, it's not like final wars where you're like, Oh, the thing is named Gorath. And the, you know, these mm. guys are obviously riff, riffing on the planet X aliens. I mean, they're, he he was able to weave that stuff into the story so it didn't take you out of it. But if you knew what's going on, you're like, oh, that's freaking cool. So I have a lot of good things to say about this film. Um, I actually don't think there's one particular thing that I loved more than anything else. I, I would rank it fairly high in, in the pantheon. Uh, but let's move into final thoughts. Uh, it sounds like, for the most part, everybody here really enjoyed the film. Adam, what would you give this film? Would you show it to a newbie? Uh is is this something that you would r- recommend to anybody else? I would not show it to a newbie. Okay. Uh, I would show it to a kid. Yeah. Um, I would show it to a kid uh, because it's good, clean, monster fun. But if I were to pick a movie for a newbie that was an adult, I would try and find something with a bit more gravitas. Okay. Um, and... Uh, as far as final thoughts, it, it is like Pacific Rim. It is like a, a giant combat movie for the most part. Obviously, there is th- this emotional element, which I had more difficulty ex- accessing, <laughs> yeah. but is apparently obvious to others. Um, I wish that it was These a These little... guys have like feelings and crap. Yes. Yeah. Who <laughs> needs those, right? We're emotional. <laughs> um, kids. So uh so yeah, it's not it's not particularly dark, but it is uh, a a fun monster romp. So um I I would rank it in in the top third of Godzilla movies. Cool. That's that's pretty high marks from you. Yes. I said that earlier too, didn't I? Uh, so I'll just I, keep I am, that in. I am, yeah. I'm a critical guy. So. <laughs> Martin, uh, I asked you earlier where this landed. Probably knowing that I haven't seen everything yet. You've seen almost all the Godzilla films. I've seen, though. I've seen most. I have seen most, but I have not seen all. This I would probably put as up there, number two. Okay. Somewhere up there. It would definitely be top two, top, you top- know? Top two? Top two. All right. Yeah. Absolutely. I think so. All right. That's cool. Rachel, pressure's on. Pressure's on. <laughs> uh, am I ranking it? Like sure. If you else? want to. You don't uh, have to. I think to. I already kind of said. I was just curious because Martin has, has surprisingly in the past not liked some of the films that are highly regarded with fans where this one, I don't know how, I actually don't know where where this lies in the hearts of fans for mm-hmm. the most part, but 
I'm very, very surprised that it's in your top two. I don't know why I'm so surprised. I just kind of am, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, I would rank it pretty high on my list too. Um, but, um, but it does lose a few points for no baby monsters. <laughs> but it had, but it the had robot that, element makes it. It had that it. little hamster though. So yeah, but that's my least favorite of rodents. So. You know, if it was a rat, then I would be like totally. But it has hamster one. abandonment, so, so maybe oh, that. Oh, well, actually, <laughs> maybe that no. plays no. <laughs> that wasn't even her hamster. Uh, so. It's true. All right, um, but yeah, so I'd say pretty high up there. Okay, would you su- would you let a newbie watch this, or would you suggest this to a? Uh, Maybe That's someone who hasn't one. ever seen a Godzilla movie before. If they've never seen a Godzilla movie before. Maybe because it's got the good human element plot. And I think it'd be a good representation of a Godzilla film to folks to see the destruction. Yeah. Um, I could, I could definitely I could see, see this as being something you show to someone who yeah. is unfamiliar with the genre because Godzilla is the bad guy. Uh, because the destruction scenes do look so great because mm-hmm. there is. Apparently, there is a human drama element that does yes. work. Uh, Apparently. I'm not trying to sound like a jerk, but like I said, I've seen this movie like 10 right. times now, and this is the first time I've even heard anything remotely like what you guys are talking about. But, I mean, it you know, taking into consideration all of those things that we just mm-hmm. sort of talked about, I actually would say that this is a this is probably a good one for, for newbies. Yeah. The only thing that I'd be concerned with is – you show this to somebody, you got to kind of say like, all right, well, you know, they don't all look this good or, you know, they're not all like yeah. this. And if the, that person doesn't make that connection with the human actors, mm-hmm. you know, you can just say, you like the Godzilla stuff though, right? Like the, the blowing <laughs> up and, and so forth. I, I, I would say I'm not going to rank it just yet for me because I, that's an entirely long, drawn-out process where I need a physical board with slats that I can move back and forth and <laughs> you know, move the m- movies up and down in the rankings. But I still really enjoy this film. And, you know, Tezuka's previous Godzilla film, Godzilla X Megaguirus, had some pretty big flaws. And I think he fixed those in this film. He just, in my opinion, needs to veer a little bit further away from the sappy drama, as far as I'm concerned. I definitely would suggest this to a new new viewer. Um, I know for a fact that there are kids out there that love this film. Tiger is one of those kids. I actually was kind of surprised that he didn't want to be here for this. But uh, Tokyo SOS is the next film uh, in the in the genre, and I think Tezuka did a fantastic job with that as well. So uh, I'd say my final thoughts are: it's a good one. You know, this is definitely something to take home and show mom. If mom likes monster movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is going to do it for our discussion. We did get in a number of homeworks, and we're going to get into that right now. Adam says, if one were to read a text synopsis of this movie, the film almost sounds like a live-action anime. On screen, this observation is not far from the truth. The fast-pacing and stereotypical characters are somewhat similar to an anime – there is the morose main character that is fighting for a purpose, the goofy, lovesick scientist who tries every angle to woo the main character. There's the placid little girl with multiple emotional dimensions and philosophical musings. The prime ministers, both old and new, each have a deep personal drama and decision-making. The brother of Hayama, whose jeep 
Akane accidentally pushed into the ravine shows a blind hatred that works as a side conflict that helps to strengthen the honor of the main character. Although these anime-esque acting styles tend to make the human plot so filled to the brim with fluff that the resulting lightness of the film ironically becomes an appealing and likable aspect. As far as how well the actors handled the characters, there were no real acting flaws. Each actor brought to each character what was needed and required. Yumiko Shaku brought a deepness to her role, but still managed to come out as a warm and likable character after all. Shin Takuma brings an innocence to his role that increases his likability right from the get-go. Kana Onodera's ability to flawlessly transfer from mood to mood helps to magnify the dimensions of her character. And Yusuko Tomoe brings a quality to the screen that gives the illusion that he could have actually lived through the events of the movie. Due to the fact that his ability to muster animosity came to him so well... As for the other characters, there are no real excellent or terrible performances. However, it should be noted that Kumi Mizuno's return to a Godzilla movie is a treat for the fine connoisseur of the series. As far as the monsters fared, the use of Godzilla and Kiryu suits were done with some superb sophistication. Godzilla was stiff at times, but it was obvious that it was only meant to truly illuminate his defensive strength. Godzilla's eyes were more bird-like in this movie, and there were some excellent scenes with organic facial expressions. As far as blending in with the scenery, the use of the highly detailed sets, lighting, and matte effects really gave a noteworthy illusion of size and power. Kiryu was handled with excellence as well. The organic yet technological look of the suit combined with the CG weaponry bred a mechanical masterpiece much superior to the 1993 Mechagodzilla. Kiryu going berserk was a unique moment in the film as well. Though the casual moviegoer may miss this, the diehard fans know the truth. This was an excellent way to bring back the original Godzilla without actually bringing back the original Godzilla. The musical score was absolutely wonderful. Michiro Oshima is a fabulous composer and that her themes can get stuck in your head for hours, which in this case is a good thing. And she is able to blend the themes of two monsters with excellent results. Her theme for Godzilla, revamped from Megaguirus, is great. When heard, it really captures Godzilla's presence. Kiryu's fanfare theme was also great, and when the mechanical monster goes berserk, it gets deeper, signaling the change in Kiryu. Godzilla against Mechagodzilla is a triumph for the Millennium Timeline. It combines likable characters, a fast-paced plot, great special effects, and interesting monster drama, all to form an exciting new entry in the series. In fact, it's one of the few movies that was actually given a direct sequel. Godzilla against Mechagodzilla beats the stereotype for remakes and brings to the table one of the most memorable and enjoyable Godzilla films in recent years. Godzilla x Mechagodzilla slash Godzilla against Mechagodzilla is definitely one of the greatest movies ever. Michael writes in to say that if you're a newcomer to the Godzilla franchise, this one is a treat. Godzilla against Mechagodzilla, or as he calls it, Godzilla vs. Godzilla, is sadly another reboot to the post-54 continuity, but it does make small references to Mothra and War of the Gargantuas, plus there are some Japanese sources that say that Rodan, Varan, Atragon, Frankenstein Conquers the World, and even Space Amoeba are in canon as well. The movie also returns to Godzilla being a force of nature, as he only fires his atomic breath at the military or at Kiryu, and he only destroys buildings physically opposed uh, to the evil spirit nature of the GMK incarnation. That will be a rant for later this year. 
This film also has many strong female characters, especially AMF member Akane, who has to live with the guilt of causing the death of crewmates in a Mazer battle with Godzilla. He also found that character Dr. Yuhara amusing as his personality is a combination of Dr. Yamane's optimism and Science Patrol member ID's awkward and comedic nature. At first, he starts off with reviving a trilobite, which may or may not be the same one from 1954, when he is called in to help construct Kiryu. He also likes how they call it Kiryu, meaning metal dragon in Japanese, and it further proves that the three incarnations of Mechagodzilla are three separate characters. At first, the plot sounds similar to Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2, but it is then revealed that Kiryu was built with the DNA of the original Godzilla. However, it really gets interesting when it hears the new Godzilla roar for the first time and Kiryu therefore remembers that it was the original Godzilla causing it to malfunction and go on a rampage. Things get even more interesting as Akane literally combines with Kiryu to become one in the final battle. Hmm, a crackpot inventor, a defense force that fights giant monsters, and a human spiritually combined with a giant being with a time limit. This is starting to sound a lot like Ultraman. He really loves it. Overall, he would give this film 3.5 out of 5 stars. It's a great Godzilla movie, but it just leaves you hanging at some points with the monster acting being very limited. And by this point, it really gets annoying when Toho reboots Godzilla again and remaking one of the greatest installments in the franchise. That is why we finally get a direct sequel to the Millennium series. Michael also writes in, P.S. By the time you guys read this, I will have officially graduated high school. I will be attending Mercyhurst University in a few short months. So who knows, maybe I'll help build something monumental as Dr. Yahara did with Kiryu. All right. Well, congratulations on graduating high school. And if you make a giant metallic monster, please call us. Yes, please. And let give us me a call. see it and play with it <laughs> yeah. and control it. <laughs> Matt and his dog Ashley write, Oh, to have the power to change just a couple of things about Godzilla against Mechagodzilla. For starters, Akane is an off-putting weirdo. <laughs> uh, yes, Akane accidentally offed her CO, but her Debbie Downer act when she's not piloting Kiryu comes across as a bit over the top. But she does claim her only friend when she was a kid was a plant. So, mad guesses Akane was born a little nutty. Speaking of nutty and plants... Maybe it's time for Dad to take away Sarah's plant. <laughs> Matt gets that these characters have experienced hardship, but they come across as so unusual as to be a distraction. As for the other great special effects, did no one involved in the making of this film see how odd the scenes with the presumably empty Godzilla suit look? Were the explosions and heat during those scenes so dangerous that they couldn't risk an injury? But let's not allow these problems to overshadow what's otherwise a great movie. The movie moves along at a good pace and is accompanied by a top-notch soundtrack. Special effects are generally excellent, and the idea of a ghost in the shell commandeering Kiryu is a compelling plot device. And finally, Matt's always found the official poster for this movie, with Kiryu sweeping past and rising above Godzilla, to be a real work of art. 
Bottom line, Godzilla Against Mechagodzilla is a standout movie that ends up, after careful consideration, at the number seven spot on Matt's list of favorite kaiju movies. Fantastic. Number seven. That's pretty good. Uh, he spoke about the poster. That's one of the posters I do not own. Oh, I was just going to look for it. Uh, unfortunately, it's one of those that sort of, I mean, when it was available, I was interested in getting one, but the problem is it's got the Hamtaro thing on the bottom and it and really, for me, really throws the design off to have this like crazy colorful strip along the bottom. I'm like, ah. Mike Keller says that there are several individual aspects of Godzilla x Mechagodzilla which improve on both the Showa and the Heisei Mechagodzilla films, but as an overall product, the movie is ultimately inferior to the previous entries. Mike thinks the new Maser Beam effects, for instance, are really good, much better than the Heisei Masers. Unfortunately, there is also too much ropey CGI in the film. Mike says that the CGI in this movie is less appealing than a blood transfusion from Keith Richards. <laughs> Especially bad is the brief shot of the 54 Godzilla biting the dust. The scuba divers who look like the bathtub toys swimming around the Godzilla skeleton and anytime anything went flying through the air. Mike thinks that the new Godzilla suit looks okay when viewed head on, but when seen in profile and from other angles, the flaws with the pinched off pinhead become apparent. Almost like the baby from Eraserhead with spikes on its back. Yeah, kids, if you haven't seen Eraserhead, ask your parents to show you that film. <laughs> Just kidding. He says that the design would be improved in the next film. He thinks that Kiryu is a big upgrade from the 90s Mechagodzilla, but still not quite on the level of badassery as its 70s counterpart. It was cool that Kiryu was an autonomous robot again instead of a Gatchaman-type animal spaceship. Mike adds that if the Heisei Mechagodzilla and Mogera can be considered monsters, then so can the Adats from The Empire Strikes Back. He thinks the scene where the mechanical monster briefly went AWOL and got medieval on Tokyo's ass recalled favorable comparison with the Mechagodzilla 2's route of destruction from Terror of Mechagodzilla. At first glance, Mike says that Yumiko Shaku's character is similar to that of Misato Tanaka from Godzilla x Mechagiris, who has a cameo here as a nurse. But not really. Shaku isn't some kind of Captain Ahab with a vendetta against Godzilla like Tanaka was. She's more of someone who's having a lot of guilt issues and wants to redeem herself. That's exactly what Martin said earlier. Ultimately, she's a lot more vulnerable than Tanaka. Mike notes that the universe which this movie and its sequel exist in is pretty unique in the annals of Godzilla lore. It had been standard for these reboots to simply ignore all the previous films except for the first one, although Megagirus plays with this in ways he won't get into. Mike says that this movie does that while changing the continuity of 54 slightly by not having Godzilla's bones disintegrate, then pulls randomly from other films in the Toho canon, including Mothra, War of the Gargantuas, and supposedly Frankenstein Conquers the World, and Yogg. Mike has got to wonder at the name Anti-Megalosaurus Group, what is it about Megalosaurus that they have a problem with? As far as he can tell, a Megalosaur never attacked Japan. Even if one did, they were never more than 40 feet long. You don't need a Mazer Cannon to deal with that. Or are they not aware that Megalosaurus is the name of an actual dinosaur? Mike gets the impression that there were several parts in this film where the audience was expected to stand up and cheer. He didn't. Mike says that it's nice that an after credit scene was made, but it was pretty uninteresting. The shorter after credit scene and Megagirus had more impact. All in all, Mike says it's okay, and that the best thing about it was that it laid the groundwork for a superior follow-up. 
Coincidentally, soon after Hideaki Anno was named to helm the next Godzilla film, the Daikaiju list brings us the Godzilla film that most directly reacts to the impact of Neon Genesis Evangelion TV series. From the opening images of Crane Tower seen from below, the film mirrors Anno's work and seeks to invert and refute NGE's core theme and message, almost point for point and shot for shot. Unfortunately, the film doesn't stall due to all the nods and head shakes in that direction. Godzilla against Mega Godzilla is a lightweight action flick that primarily concerns itself with moving along the how-to-train-your-city-wrecking biomechanical dragon plot. It touches on a few themes that are deeper, but wisely avoids getting lost in moral in moralizing about, as the social awkward scientist character puts it, matters relating to life and death. Instead, it plugs the philosophical abyss up with the few pop truisms and moves on to the action. While it has a few silly effect shots, the suits look great, and the effects really range, but are better than average on balance. The acting and the dialogue are never so bad the movie grinds to a halt. The movie is a pretty solid kaiju film, which is maybe its most notable shortfall. It seems to lack ambition to go anywhere at all surprising. Even making the plucky action hero main character a self-reliant woman is a well-trodden path in Japanese pop culture. Still, it's nice to see the film passes the Bechdel test, which is at least modestly surprising. Overall, it is a good watch. Chris G. enjoyed Godzilla x Mechagodzilla. It's a great movie. The costumes and models were cool and had a decent story to tell. Both Godzilla and Mechagodzilla looked fantastic. Chris G. also enjoyed the cameo appearance of former New York Yankee Hideki Matsui. He's also nicknamed Godzilla for his powerful swing. He would highly recommend this movie to a kaiju newbie. He has one question regarding the film. What did the boy give the soldier at the shelter? It was a little baggy of something. I'm pretty sure that was a Megaguirus egg. Oh, you think? Yeah. No, no. <laughs> it was a little candy. I was like, yeah, uh, it looked, a little hack I was like, well, you got a lot more out of that than I did. <laughs> no, no. It was, it was a candy. It was a little sweet kid giving a soldier very a candy. Nice. Yeah. It's very nice. This was Robin's second time watching the first real Godzilla film he ever saw as he was introduced to the genre by a friend some 10 years ago. He remembers being impressed by the protagonist being a woman in charge of piloting a very awesome and prestigious mecha, and also something about the Jolly Green Giant making a cameo appearance in the movie. (laughs) Robin was very happy to get to revisit his kaiju roots and feels that he appreciated it even more the second time around due to having more knowledge about the world of Godzilla. Robin thought it was an interesting take to have this be the second ever encounter the world had with Godzilla, while still acknowledging similar attacks made between the movies now and 54 by lesser threats such as Mothra and Gyra, giving Japan a rational reason for having Mazer tanks on standby as the crown prince of monsters services to claim his throne. By the way, did you guys notice in the movie that they actually changed the history and said that Mothra and Gyra were both killed by the Mazer cannon and the atomic heat projector thing? Yeah, that was surprising. Uh, yeah, so, uh, he goes on to say that, uh, he found the suits in this film to be spot on gorgeous looking and was amazed that the suit actor inside of Mechagodzilla could move in that thing at all. Robin still found the female protagonist to be a fresh change from movies in general, but noticed upon the second viewing a scene that really got to him with a big wow once it hit home. Towards the end, when Akane has climbed inside Kiryu and tries to get it back up on its feet to deal with Godzilla once and for all, the manly man leader of the G-Force team ejects his co-pilot and proceeds to nosedive kamikaze-style into Godzilla's face. This was all much to Robin's dismay. 
Why, that's just typical, he thought to himself. Just take away our heroine's shine. Of course, we can't have a woman kicking Godzilla's tail. We need a man to help her while simultaneously being frickin' Superman heroic. Fly Guy's plan works out. Godzilla can't blast Kiryu with atomic breath with a plane parked in the middle of his mouth. And so the robot gets on his feet. Gee, I wonder what'll happen next. A still not happy Robin muttered in his mind. The team leader tells Akane to shoot to kill. She must sacrifice him now that Godzilla is busy chewing on the jet fighter. It's the only way. And here she starts arguing with the guy whilst breaking down in tears, thus missing her window to deal with the problem at hand. Bravo, Toho, bravo. But then Robin was yanked out hard of all his cynicism. Akane doesn't argue with the man. She even argues with him less than he expected. Instead, she grits her teeth resolutely and rams into Godzilla in a deadly embrace, snatching the mansoul. <laughs> That's good. That's good, I not damsel. Like that. Snatching the mansoul in distress from the beast's claws, thus saving him and the city of Tokyo at the same time. Toby Maguire's Spider-Man style. The manly man's hero stunt was still heroic, but he didn't get to upstage and eclipse the protagonist and true hero of the show. Robin would go so far as to say that this is basically unheard of in any film slash TV series slash book slash comic slash you name it ever. The girl saving the guy and in such a big way. It's inarguably more often the other way around. This compels Robin to bring up the lamest part of Pacific Rim for a hands-on comparison. Raleigh and Mako are about to drop the load on the Antiverse when Raleigh decides to jeopardize the entire human race to save the girl. So he kicks Mako out of gypsy danger and pilots the two-person operation on his lonesome because you're not a hero unless you save the girl. And this is only five minutes after the dying from a life of radiation exposure with nothing left to lose, Pentecost has just offed Chuck Hansen. Young, promising Jaeger pilot with a father and dog waiting and his whole life in front of him, giving the audience the sense that saving your partner is not an option. Robin calls batcher droppings. He then goes on to apologize for his massive rant. He just wanted to get it out how awesome he found the deadly embrace scene in Godzilla x Mechagodzilla to be and how it caught him off guard completely, despite him having seen it before. Having Mechagodzilla remember its true nature and go off on a city-stomping fest was silly and stupid, but wholeheartedly welcomed and fun. Mechagodzilla taking, if memory serves, three years to build instead of all being done and ready to go upon just hatching the idea like some old Gamera film or Saturday morning cartoon, that was good. A little convenient, perhaps, that Godzilla stayed away all this time, only return at just the exact same time of Kiryu's inauguration. How was Godzilla walking out to sea for the third time in the film any different from the first two times he did it? Why the celebration? What was won? How was Godzilla busting up billions of yen in tanks and then walking away any different from Godzilla busting up billions of yen in Mechagodzilla and walking away? Oh, well. <laughs> and finally, he says, jumping giant bouncy monsters. No, please. It kind of took Robin out of the movie a little to watch Kiryu jump around, especially after his jetpack had been slammed to pieces. Regardless, Robin approves of showing this to newcomers. Diego writes in to say, Enjoyed it a lot. Don't know why it took so long to finally see it. Random notes from watching. Sarah, least annoying kid in kaiju film, actually likable. Akane, red 1960s Fantastic Four, hit big monster in the eye. Rain effect, best rain CGI in early 2000s. Trojan commercial, on crackle, used Boston's more than a feeling. <laughs> 
<laughs> Let me do that one again. Trojan commercial on Crackle. I used, think I'm actually going to use that first one. Music, yeah, all right, then I'm like going to move on laugh, then. Yeah. All right, there we go. Transport of Kiru by two jets, better than one helicopter in Pacific Rim. Godzilla feet normal and used to kill. Coolest DVD cover art ever. Flying blindside body slam, cool. Battle damage to both Kiru and Big G. Joe Brody hairstyle, same as Takumitsu Yuhara. Again, great movie. <laughs> Thank you for the poetry slam. <laughs> it was cool, man. I almost wanted you to read that in like a terrible, uh, <laughs> like a beat voice. Stere- no, a stereotypical like <laughs> accent, like someone who can't doesn't speak English very well. Oh, not not saying that Diego doesn't. I'm I'm withdrawing that. I'm, but Thankfully, you, know, you can edit this as a live show. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I was going to do a highly offensive stereotypical impersonation of a let's just say 1970s native american indian it might sound like transport of cure you by two jets better than one helicopter in pacific rim <laughs> there were lots of helicopters in pacific rim carrying those robots it is true not enough <laughs> helicopters more than just one ron says this movie is a good movie but not great the plot is okay the special effects are really good in most of the scenes the problem is the lead female pilot is a bit of a pushover instead of put, putting people in their place. Then you have the grumpy little brat and her stalker. Then you have the grumpy little brat and her stalker. He means her bio doctor father, who has a thing for the pilot very wacky. Oh, and all while Godzilla and Mechagodzilla are going at it in Tokyo. Overall, a good movie. It's not what I would show a kaiju newbie, but still a viewing. And there you have it, our Daikaiju discussion homework sent in by the listeners for Godzilla against Mechagodzilla. Or as I like to say, Godzilla x Mechagodzilla. Do you guys know why I like to say that? Nope. Because that's how it was no. advertised. Ah. At some point, I want to say when it was brought to America, the movies were changed from being X. They were either changed to versus like Godzilla versus Megaguirus, or they were changed like here to Godzilla against Mechagodzilla. It don't make no sense to me. Just call it what it was <laughs> named. I mean, are they afraid people aren't going to get that X in this case, Godzilla X Mechagodzilla? Does that mean they're going to hug? They're multiplying. <laughs> there is kissing. It's, you know, <laughs> they're X, multiplying. X and O. They're multiplying. I like that. Okay, so uh, you guys are probably wondering what our next film is in the Daikaiju discussion homework. Yes, do tell. Well, our next film is Big Man Japan. Yes! Have you ever seen Big Man I Japan? I don't know what that is. Oh my gosh, I can't wait for you to see it. Really? You see, yes. So you've seen it. Oh yeah. Okay, okay. All right, mm-hmm. so I've actually only seen Big Man Japan once. Same here. And I do I not own it, it yet. I don't own oh. it. I don't. never bought it when it came out, and uh, this is, I'm going to have to change that. Yeah. T- it's too bad that it's not available on Blu-ray, just because I, I don't like it buying great, old media now. But mm-hmm. uh, yes, the next film in our discussion is Big Man Japan, and that discussion homework is due before June 25th. So if you want to take part in that, actually, normally I say send in your thoughts, questions, and reviews. Please don't ask me any questions about that film because I have no idea. Uh, we can make up answers for you if you'd yeah, like. Yeah, we could. We, we could, actually. Yeah. yeah, We could do that. 
This is a weird one. Um, there's some weird monsters in it. It's not a typical kaiju film. It's actually, it's actually, let me st- take a step back. It's absolutely not a typical kaiju film. Yeah. Uh, I'm actually hoping that you can make that one, Martin, because I'd like to know your thoughts on the film. Yeah, absolutely. After we watch it. Uh, so yeah, I'm make sure you send in your homework for Big Man Japan before June 25th to be included in the Daikaiju discussion episode. And now, who's ready for some pickled ginger? Right here. Today's pickled ginger was sent in by Michael Deke. And the questions start as follows. These are difficult. Are you ready? Bring it. All right, here we go. Bring it on. Name all the kaiju featured in the opening to Godzilla Final Wars. Oh, my goodness. To the opening? (laughs) All of them? Uh, There's probably a lot. Ibira. Godzilla. Um, Gamera, uh, Mothra, uh, Gagers, Baragon. I don't know how many you guys Mina, have. Oh, wait, wait. Did you say Baragon? Yes. Yeah. You've got one right so far. Ibira's not it. in there. Uh, of everything else that you guys have named, none of those monsters. Mechagodzilla, not, no. uh, me, um, Manda, um, nope, uh, Angulus. No. Varen. Um, wait, wait, who? Varen? Varen? Yes. Yeah. Now yeah, you have okay. two. See, All Rachel right. is looking around the room. I am too. Guessing. I just don't remember yeah. their names. <laughs> uh, Titanosaurus. King Caesar? Yes, Titanosaurus. Um, uh, let's see. Gidera? No. Um, Man, I'm running out of names. I just forget them. Uh, wow. Uh, let's see. Ooh. Um. Mogura? <laughs> Ma- I already said Mothra. Um. Should I just call this, like. Rodan Geigen? No. 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 Uh, Angelus? Was Angelus um, already listed? You said Angelus like seven times. Did I? I just wanted to make sure God- you heard it. I, I think I'm out of the ones that I can uh, actually name by memory. <laughs> like the worst person <laughs> to do this. Well, it's, this is a is this is a tough question. I actually Final don't think that I would be I, able to get this. I haven't seen Final Wars since I think like 2005. Martin hasn't seen Final Wars since 2010, I believe, when we started doing the Daikaiju and that was discussion. one of the first ones that I ever saw. That was and the very first Daikaiju y- discussion we ever. Yeah, had. yeah, and and that was kind of one where you were like, prepare yourself. Yog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <gasps> what Yog. did you say? Yog. Yog is not the correct. Amoeba. Monster name Space Amoeba. Neither Space was Space Amoeba, Amoeba but I don't yeah. expect you to the know the name of Space. the monster from that movie or the one of the three monsters. Actually, I have movie. not seen. You haven't seen Space Amoeba. Anyway, we're going to move on. This okay. game is we're stalling oh, out here. Oh man! So the Rachel the cor- got two. I got three. Got, I got three. No, got three. I got three. Nice. So the deal is, it's Varan. Okay. Gezora. Yeah. That's Yog. Oh. Baragon, Gyra, Titanosaurus, and Megagirus. According oh, to Gears. Michael's, See, I didn't turn my head and answers, look behind yeah. me. Okay, uh, that was question one. <laughs> Let's try and make these <laughs> other ones a little snappier. Uh, in Gamera three, why does Ayana hate Gamera? Oh, um, I think Gamera killed her brother. 
She killed her cat. Or killed her. Killed her parents. I no. think something it like that. Yeah, killed her, killed her parents. Martin got it. Oh. Killed her parents. No, I because I, I remember all of that Although, stuff. Yeah, I, just, yeah, I will remember. say. Okay, so the brother did not kill. Definitely did not mm-hmm. kill her brother. His her brother was. Away. Oh, the brother is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And but actually, technically, probably killed the cat. Right. See well. where my you know priorities. And lie. maybe that is actually why she hated Cameron so much. Anyway, I would. Uh, but Martin gets that one. So so far, you guys are okay. Tied. One and one, I guess. Question number three. Gilala was the creation oh, no. of which studio in Japan? Dae? No. Oh. That's the only one other than Toho that I can think of right now. <laughs> Is it not Toho? It's not Toho, um, no. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, this is a tough one. These are tough. These are hard. I'll, yeah. I'll probably know the name when you've said it, but I would have never thought of it. Oh, Shochiku. Oh, oh I've never I heard, have yeah. heard of that. And I have yeah. not. I don't. That one doesn't ring a bell. Okay, so nobody gets the point. What's okay. question number four? Oh, my gosh. What three non ultra, like, so non ultraman related TV series? Did Eiji Tsuburaya produce before his death in 1970? So is Zone Ultra Fighter? Q considered Ultraman? It's still Ultra. That's yeah. still Ultra? Okay. okay. Uh, and by the way, Zone Fighter would not be in that list because right. Zone Fighter was produced in 1973 and by Toho. Oh. Well after Eiji Tsuburaya's say death. The, say the name. Boy, say the never. question again. What three non-Ultra TV series did Eiji Tsuburaya produce before his death in 1970? No, I I got nothing. Yeah. Um, Actually, I said one of the names earlier when we were looking through that book. Oh, really? Yeah. You did? <laughs> Hamtaro? No, come on. That's not a... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I like how his disappointment is, uh, <laughs> Martin, you don't know any of them. It's okay. And you name one that I've never even heard of. It's like, oh my gosh, my disappointment. <laughs> That's a freaking cartoon that we were just well, talking yeah, about for 2002. And, but... Maybe it sure, was it could have from been a, a classic, something from yeah. no. the 60s. I don't no. know. Uh, Mickey uh, Mouse. You guys give up? Um, <laughs> Long ago. Uh, just give up. Just, just do it. Okay. I'm, I give I'm up. I'm fairly okay. certain I give up. that I give even up. Brian would not be able to get what? this. Okay, Ooh, I'm going to have to ask Where's him. my phone? Booska? Oh, Booska, the noodle-eating monster. <laughs> Mighty Jack? <laughs> I've heard of Mighty Jack. I've heard of it, too. And Operation Mystery. I haven't heard of that one. We haven't either. The noodle eating monster. Yes, and he's happy and cute. <laughs> he is cute. Uh, okay. He is yeah. cute. You know what's funny is uh, Lady Kyle showed her Busca once, and she was like, "Oh, I don't care for that." And then she saw it in person, not the monster itself, but a, a figure of it. She yeah. was like, "This guy's cute." And I was like, uh, uh, "Okay, whatever." <laughs> I was actually trying like to use. I was trying to no. I was trying to use a boot. Yeah, I should just say <laughs> you've already told me you hate him. I was trying to use Busca as an entry. point point for her oh anyway uh really kitty isn't it question number five yes it is very kitty as far as i know i've never seen any i haven't i've just heard that in godzilla mothra king ghidra giant monsters all out attack godzilla appears in yaizu harbor what is the significance of the inclusion of this location is that where godzilla first showed up nope um, this is another difficult one. I would probably be able to maybe guess it. Maybe, mm, maybe. Is that where... Um, it's got a historical significance. Just, I'm going to give you a clue on okay, this. It's got what, a very significant to the Godzilla series historical significance. Okay, is this the so one where they actually killed Godzilla? 
There's some sort sorry, of radiation. No, no for you. Okay. What'd you say? Was a bomb dropped somewhere near no, there? No, but you're sort of on the right track with the radiation something. stuff. Something. Well, like the first radiation. T- no, they radiated, wouldn't have tested anything. Radiated lizard. This is the first radiated All right, lizard you guys, they found with two heads. Here's another clue for you. Do you remember what real life incident uh, inspired Godzilla? The original 54 Godzilla? The, what was the uh, Hiroshima and Nagasami bombings? Right? No, no. Um, I mean, technically, those oh, did have. You know what I'm talking about. Um, was it? Um, uh, oh my gosh! I want to start Brian's doing charades here. <laughs> um, can we? I give see, up. I give. Her do you want to get a lifeline to um, Brian right now? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, call a friend. Yeah. No. I'm so Brian, disappointing to your I'm listeners because so there's people that are going to no, listen no, no, to this and freak out. I know, gonna, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I think it's fine. Smack me. Don't let him it's smack the, you. You um, just punch him right in his broken wisdom teeth. <laughs> oh. If he tried to smack you, I mean. Yes. You're still trying to guess it, huh? I am still trying to guess it. Okay, you're going to kick yourself. Well, yeah, I am going to kick myself kick when yourself. you say it. So the real life incident, which is not the question from Michael. It's the oh, so hang on, it's the reactor explosion. No. Isn't it? No? no. Okay, there's that's It's the Lucky Dragon number five. That was the oh, real life incident that inspired Godzilla yeah. to happen. So the Lucky Dragon number that's five right. got caught in the bikini atoll nuclear testing that was going on. Yes. And brought back a radiated uh tuna to Japan. Yeah. Oh, okay. So the That's Yaizu right. Harbor was the home port for the Lucky Dragon number five. <sighs> and right. when in GMK, when Godzilla makes landfall in mainland Japan at the Yaizu Harbor, mm-hmm. uh, two of the suit actors, I believe two of them, if not three of them, were in the museum for the Lucky Dragon number five. And, oh, and the, right. yeah, they stand up and look out and Godzilla roars and the glass shatters. Uh, there you go. Okay. I didn't know about that. So, uh, I don't know if this is going to bring your spirits up, but you might be able to get this. Okay. Next question. Uh, question number six. Instead of being based off of a pteranodon, Rodan was originally going to be based off of this prehistoric animal. Pterodactyl? No. Uh... Saber toothed tiger. We're just, I'm going to say, <laughs> probably it was this prehistoric flying animal. A pterodon. There was a pteranodon. There's pterodactyl. There's a. Uh, um, wouldn't have been an archaeopteryx. Yeah, archaeopteryx? That's the answer. That the That's what he says. Oh, really? That's the interesting, yeah. huh? Oh. I think I've seen images uh, kind of like that, but I. <clears throat> having again, feathers, we're huh? just going with the answers that Michael's provided here. Question number seven. So I guess I'm going to give you that one. <laughs> well, I said it. Yeah. <laughs> After I blew it. <laughs> well, I said it. Kind of, sort of, didn't really. That was bizarre. my second guess. Uh, question number seven, Return of Ultraman, episode 18. <sighs> now, I, I'm not even asked this because I've never even seen that. <laughs> and I, you're not going to get the other ones either. Okay. So thank you for those six <laughs> questions, All Michael. Right. No, seriously, the other two questions, uh, I'll ask, I'll ask them, but okay. I don't think anybody's going to get them. Right. Return of Ultraman episode 18 was the first appearance of Ultraman Jack's Ultra Bracelet. Who gave him the Ultra Bracelet and which kaiju did he use it on? Wow. I'm going to go with, um, Hayata. And we're going to say he used it on Angulus. Okay. 
Well, first off, Angulus is it's not, not used in ultra the Super monster. Stuff, Okay, let's say we'll, Giango. Okay. okay. <laughs> I yeah. approve of your use of Giango, <laughs> but neither one of those are correct. The Jamita. answer is, uh, and I'm guessing Martin's not even going to guess because he's really out of his element. I've, with this stuff. I, yeah, I've never. I think I've <laughs> I seen don't think, one film. Have you seen? We yeah, you, we've done. You watched Ultraman the next year, but yes, yeah, that's, that's the it. only thing that's you've the, seen at all, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so the answer is Ultra 7, and the, the kaiju oh. is Bemstar. Bemstar. And then the question eight. All right. Question, okay, question eight. Who are the six Ultra Brothers? <laughs> oh, gosh. Sleepy, dumpy. <laughs> dumpy. Ultraman. Ultra 7. Gropey. Uh. Ultra Father. Oh, uh, hang on, hang on, hang on. as far as I can get. Ultra 7's one of them. Ultraman Taro? Ultraman that, Okay, next. you got two of them. Ultraman uh, 80? Oh, you said Ultraman? So you got yes. three. Um, and uh, and I said Taro, and I said, is there, is there a Neo? <laughs> Sorry, you <laughs> said Taro, Ultra 7, and Ultraman. Those yeah. are the three that you got. Okay, and then Tiga? Nope. Uh, Dinah? Nope. They're killing me. <laughs> Don't say guy. Father, <laughs> no, because he's not a brother. He's not a brother. Oh, yeah. It's Angulus one. Um, this is why there desperately needs Cosmos? to be an Ultraman podcast. Cosmos on there? <laughs> uh, no, no. I bet Dave would get these. No, these are older ones. Yeah, actually, Dave probably would get yeah, these. Yeah, he's really good at Ultraman. So we should berate Dave yeah, next time. Hey, totally. man, your question yes. was basically in the pickled ginger. Yeah. Exactly. So what are they? <laughs> okay, it's Ultra Man. Uh-huh. Ultra Seven, Ultraman Jack, Ultraman Ace, Ultraman Taro, Ace. and Ultraman Zafi. And, Zafi. Then, and then he would have given a bonus point to anyone who got Ultraman Leo and or Astra. Astra, huh? So I out of those, Leo, but... just for the listeners to know, especially Michael, I have only seen Ultraman and some of Ultraman Jack. I've never seen any Ace, Taro, Zafi, or Leo. Someday... I'm going to activate a 30-day trial period for Crunchyroll, and I'm going to watch some Ultraman Leo and some other stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, unless it comes out on DVD, I'm probably not going to get a chance to watch the other stuff. Anyway, that's the pickled ginger. Hey, Michael, seriously, even though those questions were really, really hard. It's uh, just because Martin and I are the only ones here. I don't <laughs> think so. I really don't think so. I remember when this came in and I read the first couple of questions. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be difficult. They're good. I like hard ones. Yeah. We, I mean, there's another one here from a guy named Cliff that we'll have to do on another uh, another episode. Very, very difficult questions okay. in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I think we need to take a tiny little break before we get into the news. So let's play a song from Ko Otani, which is also from Gamera 2 Advent of Legion. This one is called Desperate Struggle. Thank you. 
United Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. There's really only one news article that I wanted to talk about. Uh, this came across my feed. Uh, and that was, I was really reluctant to post anything about it at all because it just seemed kind of wishy-washy, kind of weird. But last week or the week before, I'm trying to remember which one, Anne Hathaway was cast in a movie called Colossal, which is basically supposed to be a movie about a Godzilla-like creature. I'm paraphrasing fighting a Mazinger Z robot. Now, that news broke a couple of weeks ago, and a lot of people were like, oh, did you see this? Did you see this? And I think the reason I never posted anything about it was because it just seemed kind of lame or not fleshed out. Actually, not fleshed out is probably the best way I could describe that. And then, hilariously enough, Toho is suing the pants off of that I guess production company. They're stop. Oh, wow. Well, they're stopping production at least. Yeah. I don't know if they'll actually technically win the lawsuit, but oh my God, when you look at the actual PDF from the court case, you see that, you know, sometimes when we get this information, Toho's suing so and so for using Godzilla, right? Even though it's not Godzilla, even though it barely looks like Godzilla, like there was a car ad. Do you guys remember the car ad? It was like some crazy. Not even really that crazy. I think it was like a minivan. And like in the ad for the minivan, this dude was coming out of the grocery store holding a bag of groceries and hit a button on his car to open the back door. And it opened up all these doors. And all of a sudden, it made this minivan look like you had to be a rock star to drive a minivan like this. It's got like (laughs) – Yeah, it's got all this crazy stuff going on in it, and it just seemed so dumb. And there was a Godzilla-like monster in it, which could have easily been a fire-breathing dragon. Mm -hmm. Toho sued that company. They threw a lawsuit down. So there's sometimes when this happens, and it's like, yeah, okay, Toho, you guys know what you're doing, I guess. But, you know, they, they overextend themselves on identifying people who are using their copyrighted material. This is not the case. Colossal absolutely was using not just the name of Godzilla in their marketing materials. They haven't mm-hmm. shot the movie yet, I don't think. But the everything about the marketing materials is ripping things off. So there's like a movie poster with Godzilla fighting Mazinger Z. Godzilla and Mazinger Z <laughs> wow. were used as like the pitch promo materials. Uh, I mean, even the guy... What did I say his name was? Nacho. Nacho. Uh, even when he was talking to people about the film, about what he was going to make, I'm actually going to read this because it's pretty terrible. The director, writer-director, Nacho Vigalando, said, it's going to be the cheapest Godzilla movie ever, I promise. It's going to be a serious Godzilla movie, but I've got an idea that's going to make it so cheap that you will feel betrayed. Is that something I want to see? No, I don't think so. If that's, that's the kind of thing that when we were talking about Death Kappa, I said, Death Kappa seems more like someone trying to say, hey, look, I made a stupid Godzilla movie. And they're choosing all the negative tropes about it. That's the sort of vibe I get from this. Mm, yeah. Obviously, that's not actually what I think they'd said with Death Kappa. That was just an inference based off of what I consider to be an inferior film. But 
this movie, Colossal, is just, it sounds terrible. It, and literally, they have so much in their materials when they were pitching this film, looking for investors, I'm assuming, that Toho, I think, Toho was not only absolutely correct to go after them, would have been doing themselves a disservice not to go after these guys. So, uh, I, when I read that, I was like, good. Because that sounded like they were totally trying to nip at the heels of Godzilla. That's how Toho does it. Nacho. (laughs) Nacho Godzilla. (laughs) That was bad, I know. (laughs) Actually, there is another news article that we could talk about. But uh, the next episode, I'm going to be recording something with August specifically about it. Uh, You guys remember, well, I don't know, Martin, if you know about this. But uh, a couple of weeks ago... Chi- did you listen the to the Ultraman thing? Yeah. Did you listen to that episode? No, I had uh, with Brad, I heard it with Brad, the Brad no, Warner one. Yeah. Brian was saying it was really good. I haven't yeah. listened to it yet. <laughs> well, thank you, Brian. <laughs> uh, uh, you should listen to it because yeah, Brad to. goes into uh, what happened with this company called Chio, which is a Thai company. Uh, Thai is in from Thailand. Oh, not gotcha. They don't make ties. Um, uh. So <laughs> this Thai company uh, is trying to say that they own Ultraman and have the <laughs> the ability to distribute it. Now, there's a new story as well. I, I just don't want to go into it too much, but basically, a couple of weeks ago, the Thai company Chayo had a press conference in Hollywood, and uh, uh, Chris, who is on the Kaiju Kingdom podcast, actually went to the press conference, saw what they were doing, wrote a little article, and that basically lit the, you know, Kaiju fandom online on fire. Mm. And so people uh, were like, oh my gosh, what is going to happen with this? Myself included, which was really weird that they decided to do this right after I posted that interview with Brad Warner. (laughs) So weird. But um, I mean... Uh, what a time to, to, to be here to watch this kind of thing. I am very interested in how this plays out. A lot of the funky, unusual Ultraman toys and things that I've gotten, um, from just randomly online on Amazon or eBay, um, actually have come from Thailand. Really? Yeah. Oh. So that's interesting. Well, I can't wait to find yeah. out more about this and talk to August about what his thoughts are on the, on the whole thing and really, Whatever happens, I think that this could be a great time for Tsuburaya to finally grow some cajones and deal with this in a way that does them right in the long run. Um, I don't know if it's going to happen. Chances are slim, but we shall see. Uh, anyway, that was the news. Basically just had those, those really just those two stories to just talk about. And one of them, We'll just uh, stay tuned to the Kaiju cast. We'll, we'll have more later on that. Moving on to catastrophic events. Godzilla Night 4 is happening in San Leandro, California on June 20th. I'll have links in the show notes to all of these as well. July 10th through the 12th, G-Fest is happening in Chicago, Illinois, and they have announced a new guest, actually. So we already knew that August Ragoni was going to be there. We already knew that Masaki Tezuka was already was going to be there. But they have also asked a guest from the Gamera series, and they are bringing Yukijiro Hotaru. You guys may not be familiar with that name, but he plays uh, Detective Osako in the Heisei Gamera films. Awesome. And he was, of course, because he worked with Shusuke Kaneko in those films, 
he was in GMK. He had a brief cameo in that movie. He's also been in the Riego and Raiga films by Shinpei Hayashia. Uh-huh. A name you know, Martin. Oh, yes. <laughs> and uh yeah, I'm I'm super, super excited to get to meet that guy. That is another guy that I would love to interview given the chance. So there you go. Also, Robert Scott Field will be there and uh and I will be there. Not All as right. a, not as a special guest. You know what I am doing? I can't announce any of them yet, but I'm doing a boatload of panels at G Fest. Nice. I'm overextending myself this year. I decided <laughs> I just wasn't doing enough. <laughs> uh, also, uh, good news. If you didn't know about this from the Hail to the King update, Hail to the King is going to be premiering at G-Fest. Cool. Yeah. Martin and I are working our butts off trying to get it finished. Uh, specifically, I'm actually going into the editing room tomorrow since we have the day off. Very Indeed. nice. By the time this airs, though, it won't have been tomorrow. It will have already happened. But yeah, I'm really excited to have uh, Hail to the King be part of their film festival there. And uh, there's going to be a Q&A session, according to uh, the guy who asked me, Jeff Horn. Shout out for Jeff for asking us to include Hail to the King in their programming. I'm I'm blown away. I can't wait for it. We're going to go ahead and I think wrap things up. Cool. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. If you found the KaijuCast through iTunes or some other podcast directory, make sure you point your web browser to KaijuCast.com where you can see links to everything we've talked about here. Uh, they've got the show notes for each episode. Every single episode is available to download, including the ones that are not on iTunes. Our Daikaiju discussion schedule is up there as well. And uh, links to all of our social media portals are there. Please do subscribe to the KaijuCast. If you use iTunes to do that, if you have another podcatcher, just click that subscribe button. Those numbers are awesome, and we love them. Also, if your podcatcher has some way to give us a, a glowing review, you know what? We'd love that, too. So make sure to rate and review us, uh, you know. Highly, hopefully, if you're enjoying the show. Yeah. And uh, we are going to close things out with one final song. We're going to actually play something from the Monster Project, since Adam was here earlier. Uh, we are going to kill this whole episode with Terror of Mechagodzilla, which is track 14 from that CD. If you uh, are interested in that, I'll have a link in the show notes so you can buy your own copy. Well, we'll see you next month for a very special episode with August Ragoni, where he and I discuss the ongoing battle between Chayo and Tsuburaya Productions. Yamata 